Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from Monterey Bay, well, close to Monterey Bay, um, is Dr. Wallace J. Nichols. Uh, it's okay, he said, if we call him Jay. So that's what I'm going to call him throughout this interview. Good day to you. How you doing? I'm I'm doing really well. It's really good to be here with you. I've been looking forward to it for a number of months. Well, thank you. We finally got it together, and I'm glad we did, because I think my listeners are going to love to hear about your book, Blue Mind, uh, The Surprising Science That Shows How Being Near, In, On, or Underwater Can Make You Happier, Healthier, More Connected, and Better at What You Do. And while the subtitle is long for all my listeners, the content of this, I really want you to get this from Jay, because it's really important. And Jay, I'm going to let the listeners know a little bit about you. For those of you who want to learn more, you can go directly to his website at wallacejnichols.org. There you can find more uh, about Dr. Nichols. Um, So in short, the real short, short bio is that he's a marine biologist, author, water level, lover, uh, turtle nerd, explorer, movement builder, uh, em- embarrassing dad, and creator of useful words. Uh, beyond that, just a little bit more, uh, he helps people reestablish healthier, more creative, and regenerative relationships with themselves, each other, and their environments through water, wonder, wellness, and wildlife. And that's really, really a good uh, alliteration of the W words, if you want to <laughs> look at it that way. Um, he's called The Keeper of the Sea by GQ Magazine, A Visionary by Outside Magazine, A Water Warrior by Aquatics International, A Friend of the Sea by Experience Life Magazine, Godfather of Water by Irish Life Health, and Santa Cruz Waves Magazine, An Innovator, Solo Busting, Entrepreneurial scientist, movement maker, renowned marine biologist, voracious earth and ideal explorer, wild river advocate, best-selling author, and sought-after lecturer, fun-loving dad, and he also likes turtles a lot. Uh, you want to read more about him? There's a quite, quite, quite an extensive um, bio there at his website. And what I like to start off here is, you know, you had Celine Cousteau. Uh, who is the granddaughter of Jacques Cousteau, write uh, the foreword to your book, which is very appropriate. Um, You also said that Oliver Sacks really pushed you to kind of write this book. You were going to have someone else write it. And I remember our conversation from months ago about that. And I'm glad you did. Um, She said, of my grandfather's many famous quotes, there's two that I hear, read and see. She said, emblazoned on the walls and websites most often seen. The sea, comma, one is cast its spell, holds one in the net of wonder forever. And the other quote she said was, people protect what they love. Jay, for you, could you give the listeners a brief overview of kind of Blue Mind, the book, your work? Uh, What inspired you to write it initially? Maybe you weren't inspired because, you know, if it weren't for Oliver Sacks, you, you may not have written it, but uh, you did finally write it and it is a wonderful book. 
appreciate that. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's you know that those quotes from Jacques Cousteau that Celine uh, pulls out in in the uh, in the forward. Those are those kind of summarize the why in a way. I I've been enthralled by water my entire life is all the way back as far as I can remember just loving being by the water in the water under the water that led to a career as a marine biologist in within that career uh, I learned that there was a lot of work to do to protect and restore what we love and as Jacques Cousteau you know people protect what they love I fell in love with water and sea turtles and all the other creatures out there and so began engaging with, with that uh, aspect of marine science, um, learning what we could to help restore some of what has been lost. And in that process, I learned that the toolkit that we were using was incomplete because it was missing this thing I now call blue mind. Uh, it was not well articulated when we made an argument for nature, for the ocean, for the rivers, um, the economic arguments were incomplete and, and therefore maybe problematic. Uh, and the spiritual arguments were pretty much left out or downplayed. Uh, the emotional arguments were left to the side because you wanted to be taken seriously. But I realized the reason I had dedicated my life to protecting the waters of the world was this deep emotional connection I felt as a kid. So to dial it out didn't make any sense. It was it literally, it was my engine. Uh, I believe it was Jacques Cousteau's engine. I know it was his grand, it's his grandchildren's engines. And many of us are, we move forward uh, and do the work we love for something that can't be simply explained by economics um, or, or threat or fear. It's, it's love with a capital L. Um, so I wanted to understand that more. And I went looking for, as you mentioned, I went looking for a book to read that I could apply to my work to protect and understand the water. Um, and I couldn't find the book that I wanted to read. Uh, I kept looking. Um, in out of print and other languages, um, different keywords, and just could not get my hands on this book that I, I knew had to be out there. And, uh, and, and eventually that led me to, to write it because <laughs> I wanted Oliver Sacks to write it. And he, he said, it's a fine idea. And I thought, well, oh, that's good. Uh, you do it. <laughs> I was expecting him to say, that's a fine idea. I'll do that. And then I would be able to, you know, help in, in any way that he could possibly have needed help. Um, and maybe get mentioned in the acknowledgements. That was my kind of my hope. Uh, <laughs> instead, it went, it went completely differently. Uh, and uh, here we are talking about it. Um, well, I'm so glad he did because, you know, you're... Uh, as you read through this book and you look at the experiments you did, you needed to do that. And I'm glad that he, that he pushed you to go beyond the bounds of just being someone who got recognition in the book, but who actually wrote the book. And so what the listeners may want to know is how your background in marine biology and neuroscience 
contributed to your understanding the connections between water and our well-being. Um, you know, I sense that you're very sensitive to this and that this is it has been a personal journey. I'm not certain everybody out there listening understands the importance of this connection between what's covering over 70% of the surface of this blue dot planet, um, which is why almost every time I vacation and I live within two miles of the ocean, um, I go to more water. But it's it's kind of more subconscious. It's like I'm not really thinking about it, but then when I really realize most of my vacations have been near water, in water, someplace where I could swim. And I just was telling you, I got back one, back from one. And as we explore into Blue Mind, how the neuroscience and psychology shows us that our brains are hardwired to react positively to water. And I think that's really kind of a, a real key important part of this, of this book. Um, because you want to let people know that uh, not only just protecting these waters, but being in, near, and or around these waters is really having an, an impact. And, and I remember you writing about this, the SANS research stuff where you put the electrodes on your head and went down or how they got electrodes to work under the water. I have no idea. But if you would explain to the listeners this neuroscience marine biology connection and why water is so important for us as a species. So you're right. This it's a it's a very deep topic, you might say, and it is fundamental to all life. All life on Earth is water based. Um, we are mostly water, along with all of our fellow beings. Um, we all spent somewhere around 9.21 months uh, underwater. We began our lives that way uh, in our own private ocean called Mom. Um, we share that with our fellow mammals. Uh, and that is not to be taken lightly. We are, we are made of water. We are from the water. Uh, we need water to survive. If, if you don't have water for a week, you're in really big trouble. You're probably done. Um, and so the signal of water, the sound of water, the sight of water, the smell even of water, the touch of water lights us up in a way that tells us we're okay, we're home, we're going to survive. It's, it, it runs from an evolutionary perspective as deep as anything possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, you might parallel with it, parallel it with sort of the way we feel when there's CO2 buildup, when you're holding your breath and you have a buildup of CO2, you start, you start to panic. Well, that would be a red mind response to the lack of oxygen with, with water. You see the blue, you see the water, you hear it and it signals very deeply, very quickly that you're in the right place. Now, of course, if we're, if we're, in, we're talking about a hurricane winds and um, tsunami waves, that's a different story. That's not the kind of water we're, we're referring to here. We're, we're talking about the, the inviting kind and, the healthy kind and the clean kind. Um, so I was curious about that. And I you know, went to the literature and found what had been published and um, worked with colleagues to advance the research. And um, neuropsychologists have an incredible toolkit. Uh, 
you can measure electricity in the brain. You can measure oxygen flow in the brain uh, using EEGs and fMRIs and various technologies. Um, you can measure hormones in blood and saliva. Uh, you can measure heart rate and breathing rate. And then tried and true um, technique, which is you ask people questions and you score their answers and you believe what they have to say. And when you put that all together, um, as I describe in, in my book, what you find is pretty conclusive and um, very clear indication that when we're by the water, when we're in the water, even when we close our eyes and think of water, it slips us into what I call a blue mind state. Our heart rate slows, our breathing rate slows, um, our skin temperature cools slightly. Uh, people report um, higher levels of happiness or contentment or well-being while in that state. Uh, our, our brain activity shifts kind of more away from the processing and problem solving, you know, prefrontal cortex kinds of things. Uh, into a more maybe distributed uh, mode where we're more creative and more connected, even, even in our own um, nervous system becomes more connected to itself. And it feels different than what I refer to as red mind, which is our new normal. Lots of screens, lots of information, lots of sound, lots of lists, lots of deadlines. Um, monkey mind sometimes is referred to as in the meditation um, community yeah. yeah that's right and um and in the meditation community water is often invoked um imaginary water is often invoked to help um get us into a, a more mindful or, or meditative place so with your eyes closed you may calm down think of water think of of the waves lapping on the beach Mm -hmm. um, it's very common. And so not surprisingly, even imagining water moves us into our, uh, a blue mind state. And so um, actual water does it really well, um, standing at the edge of the ocean or uh, a, a mountain lake, as you were describing earlier, and just looking out over it. So what's going on there? Visually, the world is simplified. Very few billboards. Uh, not a lot of activity necessarily on that lake. Sometimes there's a boat or a few boats, some birds, maybe a dolphin if, if you're on the ocean. Um, so visually, auditorily, we pick up the sound of the water and that sound sort of precludes the noise. It, it, it filters out the noise or it masks the noise that might be in the background. Um, and then, of course, when we get into the water somatically, we get relief. So you're no longer fighting gravity you're no longer positioning yourself you're just floating or bobbing and, and so your body's at rest um, the visual processing parts of your brain are at rest the auditory processing portions are at rest and then you slip into this other mode and uh, you don't go to sleep you 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 uh acquire other other skills maybe more creativity more compassion uh, more courage, some people say, uh, contentment, all these C words, calmness, um, cohesiveness or connectedness. Uh, these are there's a surprising number of C words that people use to describe their, their blue mind state uh, that happens, you know, in the, in the proximity of water or even being immersed in the water. Yeah. 
Well, it is, it, it, you know, in a sense, you know, I live in an area where we're surrounded with surfers, you know, and so it's, it's addictive. You know, I think to the sense that I see a lot of surfers are addicted to surfing, right? I, I Maybe addiction isn't the right word, but they've got this strong desire. They keep doing it over. I watched a documentary just the other night about the free divers. Uh, the Red Bull thing where they've, you know, these, these people are going down to extreme deaths holding their breath. Um, and I always wonder what compels one to do that because in the end, one of the people died going underneath that reef. You probably saw it. Um, but yet, you know, they, all of them say the same thing that the water calls them, right? It's like, it's this, uh, the woman from Italy, which you probably know, which ended up breaking the, the other lady's record, uh, for free diving said she was called to the water all the time. Couldn't basically stay out of it. Um, is that a, a pretty typical thing you found in your research that, you know, when you look at the brain activity of these people, what's going on? I think they're a little nutso because there's no way I'm going to free dive that, that far. But um, because they come up and many of them have to be kind of resuscitated, right? Uh, so there is a there is a um, with with the more active water sports, there is a, a, a dopamine component, and people are getting stimulated, uh, but in a in a positive way. So there is mm-hmm. a there's there's good stress in our lives. That makes us um, strive and thrive and connect and want more. And it's it's not debilitating. It's actually strengthening, a strengthening kind of stress. So whether it's surfing, even big wave surfing, free right. diving, even deep free diving. Yeah. That's what we see in these athletes and people who just do it for fun. They crave right. it. They miss it. The dopamine um, feels good. Uh, when the waves are flat or they can't get to the water, um, they, they crave it and they miss it and they, they have to find maybe another outlet. So it's one of the reasons why we see many therapeutic programs using free diving, surfing, swimming, boating, Ooh, everything. Uh, yeah. As a, a way to help people who are dealing with stress, anxiety, um, burnout, and even addiction. And so it's kind of, Saying okay, let's let's not get that dopamine high from something that makes your life worse. Let's hitch it to something that will be a, maybe inert or make your life better, make you stronger and healthier, and and even a better athlete. So, you know, that's not to say if you're if you're addicted to surfing, it may interfere with your job or your relationship. Um, there there are those kinds of social side yeah. effects. Yeah. Um, but I but do know that water really. is used. I do know, uh, Dr. Nichols, that water is used extensively in uh, rehabilitation therapy for people that are uh, having problems with joints or they've, you know, they're trying to rehabilitate a shoulder or a knee or a leg or whatever. Um, and Mayo Clinic has done a, a lot of research on that in that area. And I have friends that are involved in that. And it's uh, uh, the healing time is so much faster. Right. So in other words, it's it's excelled healing time to be able to go in a therapy pool. Um, and then there's the whole thing around uh, which I'm sure you're totally well aware of is these uh, these cold baths. 
my son is a big one j- jumping into the, like the extreme cold water. People are buying pools for their garages and their backyards and all kinds of things. What is it with the cold water that um, is, you know, there's been so many books written. There's so many noted names that I can't think of right now that are advocating this for your health. But obviously, again, it's in and around water, right? But right. very cold water. <laughs> right. And, you know, so the, the the cold water does all of those things therapeutically that you just described. And whether you're recovering from an injury uh, or just trying to trying to be stronger and more flexible, it's a, and a good de-stress. Idea. de-stress. Yeah, de-stress. So, you know, I, I, I often refer to you go into the gym and you got these machines or weights that stress your body and call it a workout. Uh, and you're surrounded by screens with news programs that stress your mind. And, and that's what we call fitness. We go into a, a room with other people who are sweating and stress our bodies and stress our minds for an hour. And then we walk out and we say, oh, I got a good workout. And you do get benefits from that. Um, but when you're in the water, you get a better workout in less time because every movement is is um, resisted by the water, every part of, of the range of motion. And it's also supported by the water. So you're less prone to injuries. Meanwhile, and it's doing that to every single part of your body. So if you're moving your arms and your legs and your torso, you're getting this kind of full body workout, which is very efficient. Uh, but it's also helping you relax. So the, the relaxing aspect um, you leave your phone behind. Hopefully, you don't bring the TV screen into the pool or into the lake. So you leave all that screen time behind. Uh, maybe you have a conversation with someone. Um, so people say that it's more relaxing to exercise in the water. So you get this brain uh, therapy, <laughs> uh, mental, emotional therapy, along with the physical therapy while you're in the water. Now, yeah, you, well, you, you, you the went, cold plunging. Yeah, you went in. Oh, well, yeah, let's finish with the cold plunging. What yeah, is so that? The, cold, the cold plunging adds another another level to it. So it's it's activating your dive reflex. It's improving circulation. When you improve circulation, there are all kinds of knockoff improvements there. Um, and I think it, it all occurs on a background of modern life being, on one hand, stressful, chronically stressful, and on the other hand, incredibly comfortable and convenient Mm -hmm. so you're you're you know it might be 110 degrees in parts of the country right now and people are moving from 72 degree office to a 72 degree car to a 72 degree home and then they go to sleep and the food is readily available and so uh, in many ways our, our our built environment is very comfortable and so our, our bodies evolved to deal with temperature changes and to deal with heat and cold. And, and uh, we're, we're actually at our best, I believe, um, outside solving problems together. So outside in motion, solving problems together. Our brains are, and our brains and our bodies are at their best in that mode. And most of our institutions are pushing us to be inside, primarily isolated, um, doing routine tasks or just consuming information, being, being a consumer, um, not in motion at all. 
you know, sitting still. So kind of at our worst. And those are our schools, our office buildings, and our entire entertainment um, industry is kind of pushing us in that direction more and more every day, it seems like. So well, those effects, those effects long term, um, we've already seen that because, you know, I wasn't a digital native. I'm 69 years old. So I recognize that in my early years, I spent so much more time outdoors. You know, it, it's interesting. My father had a landscape construction company. So I spent all my time helping him dig holes, put plants in the ground, bury pipes whatever it was. And it was a pretty decent sized company, but I always enjoyed the physical work and solving the problems outside. You talk about solving problems. We had plenty of them to solve. But you know, that isn't the world today, pretty much for the average worker, like you've been saying. We're in this fast-paced, digitally connected world. Stress is a common concern. Those stressors have now uh, uh, fast forward themselves to diabetes, heart disease, um, any kind of disease that you could think of today that we're dealing with. Cause I've worked with Mayo's done all the studies, um, you know, high cholesterol levels, you know, on and on and on and on. It's just there obesity. How can embracing the principles that you're advocating or at least exploring in your book, of the blue mind help individuals manage stress and improve their overall well-being because if everybody listening to this was in that environment you just talked about 72 degree car 72 degree home this is the, the they just moved from this to this to this and have not been exploring alternate ways to deal with that very always on environment what would what would you tell them? What would you advise them of? Well, you're you're right. I think our, especially our young people are um, experiencing peak convenience, and you you know you can download an app, and it will um, you touch a few buttons, and it sends you food. Yeah, uh, and wherever you are, you pay a premium, or it sends you a car, or it gives you any song ever made for the most part. Um, and so it's, it's just a wild, outrageous level of convenience. And so when things go wrong, what we're seeing is our young people don't know what to do. They, they, they really hit the panic button ra- rather quickly. And so part of what interacting with water teaches you is, is grit and resilience, you know, jumping in the cold lake um, builds confidence. You know, you go, I've, I've done it with people and they said, no way, no way. I'm not getting in that cold water. And I'll say, well, you can do it just for 30 seconds. No way, no way. And then they do it and they feel like they just climbed a mountain and it's a, a major accomplishment. And I say, wow, that wasn't that bad. I, I could do that again. So that's a simple piece of it. Um, but my advice, you ask, you know, what can people do? Um, the answer isn't just go around and jump in cold water everywhere. That's not not really the answer. The answer is to practice blue mind daily. Uh, if you can do it for 20 minutes, great. Um, if you live near a body of water, lucky you, use it. 
Um, but we also have water in our homes. We have tubs and showers and hoses, and people can fill up, you know, um, horse troughs and put them in outside and do their cold plunge there. Um, we have virtual water in the form of art and poetry and music and film and photography. Um, the first chapter of Moby Dick is, is a great ride. And, uh, and then we have our imaginary water that we, it's just the water you think of when you close your eyes and meditate on it or just remember it. And then all of our cities have um, sometimes fountains or water sculptures uh, or urban waterfronts, uh, lakefronts, riverfronts, oceanfronts, where you can go for a walk. So there are lots of ways for you to practice Blue Mind daily, even if you don't live on an island or live near a, a big river or lake. Um, swimming pools are another, spas, all of these bodies of water. So my advice to people is make a list of ways that you can practice Blue Mind daily. Uh, you may want to add a list of things you might be able to do once a week, maybe once a month, once a year, or your big dream trip, you know, to Orcas Island or the South Pacific or something that you might have to plan and save for. Uh, make that list, the things you can do daily, and then maybe the big, the big stretch trips. And then set out and, and make that part of your life. Um, this water conversation is not a niche conversation uh i am to my mind it's one of the most important conversations happening right now um because our you know our waters need help and the more we value them the more we mm -hmm. understand that uh, if, if you're in a community and you have a healthy river and that healthy river helps first responders heal it helps our nurses who are working so hard for us it helps our teachers and our journalists keep their head together and not burn out. Um, when you start to value your local water as a healing resource for the people who serve us every day and, in fact, are burning out. We're seeing these very high burnout rates among people who have service-oriented careers, um, first responders, uh, fire, yeah. police, medical people. Teachers are burning out. That's, that's not okay. Like we, people who have been training and working and learning for decades, um, we need them to be, be leaders and be strong and be able to show up for work. Um, so if you're lucky enough to be in a community that has these water-related resources, and I think, in fact, all communities have it, we just need to be more creative in some places, utilize that. Uh, there isn't isn't a better um, way to heal our bodies and our minds than to spend more time near, in, on, and underwater. Um, and I would put music in that category as well. You know, mm -hmm. our, our, our relationship with music is so healing. You know, songs will take you up and they'll bring you down and they'll make you excited and they'll make you melancholy and they'll uh, shift your mood and make you cry. And they, they, they really are. So music is medicine and in the in a very similar way um water is as well well you know in the book you wrote about the some of the statistics and i think for our listeners this would be a great place to insert this and then i want you to talk about 
your nonprofit, Plastic Oceans. Um, you mentioned the book that water covers 70% of the surface and that 95% of those waters are yet to be explored. I thought that was interesting. Um, we've been referred to as a blue marble. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the gentleman that, that referenced that. Was it uh, the great, um, who's the British guy? It was, um, he's done all the documentaries. Oh, Attenborough, David Attenborough. Attenborough, yeah. yeah. Isn't that where that came from? Yeah. So you mentioned that over 80% of Earth's population lives within 60 miles of the coastline. Okay, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that don't really know that a coastline, lake, yeah. river, and the other half, <clears throat> and the other a half billion people owe their livelihoods directly to water in some way. So you're now we're starting to make all these connections, right? We live near it, we owe our livelihood to it. You also state that we use 80 to 100 gallons of water every day for our basic needs. Uh, your book also emphasizes the important of connecting water for environmental conservation. Um, how can fostering this blue minds, a blue mind mindset contribute to a greater sense of responsibility and stewardship for our oceans, lakes, and rivers? And I'd like for you to expose to our listeners about <clears throat> your nonprofit, Plastic Oceans, and you also do another one for the turtles. Yeah. Well, so there, there are many nonprofit organizations. Um, I've co-founded a group called Plastic Pollution Coalition and have worked closely with plastic oceans. And um, part of the reason is 25 years ago, I started noticing the buildup of plastic in the ocean and rang the alarm bell and started working with a small group of colleagues who were equally concerned. And that has grown into a global movement to um, address the issue. And uh, we could spend an entire uh, podcast oh, sure. easily talking mm-hmm. about that issue. But suffice it to say... They used to call a, it the garbage patch, which was the size of Texas. Yeah. is kind of floating around. Yeah. Is it still, or is it larger now? And is it become more, is it become greater in mass than it was? And I'm not just saying that that's the only place because yeah. obviously we're seeing birds that are ingesting it and then dying it's on the beaches of many places that are in the furthest most regions that people wouldn't think would be you know plastic bottle caps and all this crap that's popping up everywhere so it's a huge problem yeah and i would say you kind of answered the question there that this you know this plastic garbage patch um begins in your kitchen and it extends to the farthest reaches of the ocean and the mountaintop. So at this point, we're dealing with uh, microplastic pollution and macroplastic pollution in our bodies and at virtually every corner of the planet, even the the deep parts of the ocean and the surface. Well, through our water, aren't we consuming about an amount of a credit card a day of plastic? Yes, that's that's, that's what they say that the... um, we're even getting it passively. You know, you think you're doing a pretty good job um, dialing it out, but it's it's you know it's this material that uh, you know we we build so many things out of it, from the things we use briefly to the things that we drive and the couches we sit on, um, the clothes we wear, and so as a result, we've got this 
you know, the slow, slow uh, breakdown uh, over decades and these micro and even nanoplastics that you can't even see right. that are in, in us, in our, in our food, in our water, uh, in the wildlife. So, I, you know, it was a little bit of a, of, of a misstep in terms of communication to point to the middle of the ocean as the problem uh, initially, and it, that drew a lot of attention. Uh, and But then we had to sh- kind of shift the communications and say, well, it's not a far away middle of the ocean issue. It's, it's in your own kitchen. It's in your own, in your own household. Right. Um, and that's where we need to begin to solve it. Um, as well as, you know, with our, our political leadership and um, business leaders, you know, innovators. Um, but that, you know, I want to connect that, the, you know, sort of the ocean crisis and plastic pollution, climate change and all, all the things that keep people like me up at night stressed. Um, if you stay in that red mind stressed out mode about the future, you're not going to be the best possible problem solver. Correct. Right. Yep. You, you may be a good fighter. You may be able to hit really hard for a few minutes. You may be able to run really fast at a wall and do some damage to the wall and yourself. Um, but the fight or flight mode is not, we're not at our best for the skills we need to solve big problems. And so that's where blue mind comes in. Red mind, very useful. Red mind, you know, sometimes you need to be aggressive. Uh, sometimes you need need to fire yourself up and get things done, get to the finish line. Um, that's why we're able to do that. Uh, it saves our lives sometimes. And you will burn out if you stay in that mode too long. And I have felt it, you know, working on the plastic pollution issue for nearly 30 years and um, extinction issues with sea turtles and other ocean wildlife and climate change. and if you just stay in that place, that fight place, um, you you will you will fall apart literally. Well, you kind of have to get to the state, as the Buddhists say, into non-duality, right? Because right. you know, in your state, you can you can uh, uh, resist that, put up resistance, or you can accept it and understand that you can be a force for good. And I think that's an important part. I mean, I, I just got back about the, from this retreat and, you know, many, we do walking meditations on one end, there is enlightenment, the Buddha. And on the other end, there's uh, a skeleton, which is your impermanence. And we're all impermanent here. We're not going to be here forever. And we have to be in balance with that, right? Uh, this duality, this uh, yin and yang, this, this good and bad, this dark and light. Um, it seems like it's going to be there for a long time, uh, especially as we go explore the outer regions of space. Now you're talking about water. I'm fascinated by the Webb uh, telescope and what it's showing us about the formation of this Earth um, that we've never seen in our lives, which is just, it's a wonderful time to be alive, to really get this information and understand it better. And that leads me to the society and the values of this productivity and achievement, because the reality is this balance is around productivity and achievement, and then embracing the concepts of blue mind, and it challenge or reshape our definition of success and happiness. 
And I think at the core level, another core principle with inside the book is, hey, this is where we need to get to. What would you advise our listeners about? Because in the subtitle of the book is how to be more healthy, more well-being, be happier. And I think everybody's looking at happiness. You don't have to go to Bhutan to be the happiest place in the world to like say, hey, I'm in Bhutan, so I'm, <laughs> that's where I'm going to be. Um, how have you found personally and stories that you could uh, provide to our listeners about uh, you, you've cited a few so far, um, but maybe down to the level of Jay himself, uh, you know, your personal journey with happiness. Um, how has this helped you get there? Well, I've, I've dealt with my share of um, challenging moments in, in these, these last handful of years. Uh, I think we're all kind of in the same boat in that yeah, regard. Exactly. <laughs> pandemic has tested us. Um, it's hurt people. It's killed people. Uh, it's changed our livelihoods. Um, I recently lost my mom to dementia. That was accelerated probably due to pandemic isolation. Uh, during the pandemic, we lost our home into a wildfire. Um, and everybody's got their, their story there of being tested. Um, relationships have been tested, livelihoods, your career, your health. Um, and then that backdrop. You look at the fires in Maui, just, you know, yeah. I mean, well, there's a thousand people missing right now, 95 they've identified as deceased, but you know, you, you talk about water, you talk about an island, you talk about people and the, just the devastation. And this seems to be happening more frequently. So it's always on top of us, right? Um, And I think it's this blue mind that can help us learn to cope better. Yeah, and and not not ignore our issues, not ignore the problems, but get back to a place where we can be the best at solving them or working together. and. And so, you know, for me, uh, personally, that, that's been water, you know, right after the wildfire, uh, we, my daughter and I went to check to see what remained after we had evacuated, uh, and we went back the next day and there was nothing, there was a, uh, a stone fireplace where the house was and every, everything that I called home, you know, my journals and our kids artwork and of the books I love and the house itself and on and on ashes, dust, ashes all of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first gut response was to walk down to the Creek, tear off my clothes and sit in it, you know, in, in, up to my neck and then stick my head under and um, just reconnect as thoroughly as I could with the water Um, in that place of grief and confusion and loss. And, um, you know, and I still feel, I can't, I'm telling you it now I'm starting to kind of get a little emotional and it's right there. It's right. It's three years ago and it's right there. And I watched the news from Maui and my heart breaks again. um, Cause I, I feel for that community and the loss 
uh, of of life and of livelihood and of possessions and home and and it brings all of that up and so um but would you would you from a spiritual standpoint because we're we're getting deep and i'm glad that you are yeah <clears throat> you know i recently did a podcast with thomas moore has written 23 books one's called the eloquence of silence we got into this discussion about emptiness our bucket being empty and for me, I've been exploring that more. You know, it's like because we're always trying to fill it up with something more. As soon as it's empty, we're not okay with empty. Yeah. Right. And I can't imagine because I haven't lost my house to fire. Uh, thank goodness. But for you, the emptiness you must have felt. But then to pull yourself back together and go, well, we're going to refill it back up again. We're going to build again we're going to reconstruct we're going to do whatever we have to do how has your work with neuroscience marine biology the blue mind helped you cope with that yeah that emptiness is real and i you know it's interesting that you say that because i've the way i've described this time has it's felt like all of my tanks have been drained right financially emotionally socially um you know physically spiritually and and i think your point is is it's worth considering well okay what is that what is that like what is it one what does what does it feel like to operate on empty tanks <laughs> right um sit with that and for can, a minute and can you and Meaning, can you you know because the the natural a state of, I think, our species. And in other words, the way we're molded, the way we're built for the most part is, okay, it's gone. We got to put something in its place. We're not going to just live with empty, just not going to work. But what does the emptiness teach you? Or what did it teach you during the times that you've had that in your life? Yeah, I think I can say now, looking back on it, um, although I'm still experiencing it to some degree, I think what you want to be sure you do when you are in that place of having an empty tank is not to quickly fill your tank with sludge or something that you will regret putting in your tank. Right. That's easy. Society will make that easy for you. Right. Um and that ranges, you know, we're seeing it in Maui, the people who move in quickly with offers that seem helpful, um, opportunities may not, it may not be a good idea to just say, hey, I'll sell my land to you because you're here. Or there's, there's all kinds of things that go on when you find yourself in that empty place. People move in and take advantage of your emptiness. Um, or you try to fill that tank with something that it you you will regret filling it with. So it is probably a good idea to to sit in that emptiness for a while. And I I did. I walked on on our on our land. I walked in circles um, mm-hmm. in the ashes for months for months months and months. I would even say years, um, thinking and figuring out what. What do I do here? 
um, cleaning up my mess was the first stage. And once that was accomplished, that took a year. There was a kind of a blank slate. And then I thought, well, what do I do with this? And um, rather than jump at the first realtor who walked up the road and said, hey, you want to do a deal? Or rather than jump and build a house because I needed a house and not like the house that I built so quickly, um, took some time. And so... Well, I appreciate you sharing those insights because I think for our listeners who've either been through it or, you know, they've gotten to that space of empty, whatever it might be, a divorce, uh, a loss of a home, a loss of a loved one you just went through, um, all of those can leave you on empty, Uh, a a bankruptcy, uh, financial downturn, whatever it might be. Uh, can leave one on empty. And the way through it is to embrace it, I think, and embracing it with a new perspective, which is what the Blue Mind is is basically teaching. And with that, I think what we ought to do is maybe give some tips or suggestions for incorporating the Blue Mind principles into the lives of the listeners and how they might practically integrate these concepts into what you would call busy routines because a lot of people out there are in busy routines, right? It's just, it's automatic pilot. They get up, they look at the list, they go after the list. If they accomplish the list, great. If not, they move it to the next day and they go into the next list the next day. Um, but that doesn't usually bring happiness, just the completion of the list. Um, there's gotta be something more. So from a spiritual, psychological, emotional state, with the Blue Mind Principles, what would be one or two big tips you'd want to leave our listeners with? Well, I, you know, I, I, when I work with people in this way, one-on-one, we come up with something I call a blue scription. And the cool thing about a blue scription is I can give you one, you can give me one, we can give our neighbors one. Um, and there's, there are no side effects. You can't overdose on Blue Mind. and so. You know, I, I ask people to make make that list we talked about before <laughs> um, of ways you can practice Blue Mind in your life and then set out to, to, to do a little bit of Blue Mind practice every day in some form. Versus and, Red uh, Mind. Versus Red Mind. And yeah. you, what you will find is once once you engage with the water you love, whatever it may be, You'll do it probably a little longer than you had planned because it's good. And so if you're taking a shower, for example, let's keep it really simple. Um, Turn and let the shower just beat on the back of your neck. Mm -hmm. Let your head relax. Close your eyes. Relax your body. And then feel the water on the back of your neck more than you've ever felt it before. It's like put put your focus on the water as it touches your skin and feel it. And while you're doing that, listen deeply into the sound of the water and try to discern the sound of every droplet as it's coming through those pipes from nature. You know, that water used to be wild water. 
It used to be rain. It used to be a river. It used to be an aquifer. Uh, it used to be inside a whale. It, it's going around and around. It used to be in a cloud. And now that water is on you. So go deep into that, the way it feels and the way it sounds, uh, the way it looks, the way it tastes. And have, have the most mindful shower of your life. Now, if you're in a water conservation district, be aware, you know, of, yeah. of that. Uh, and, and really get every possible benefit, emotional and spiritual benefit from every drop of water that you possibly can for those minutes. And that's just one, if you take that approach that you can apply in your own shower or bathtub in your own home, and apply it when you're walking down the street and there's a fountain, maybe sit and have that cup of coffee next to the fountain and pull up next to somebody that you want to chat with. Um, fountains do something quite lovely. They, they create a, a cone of privacy. So if yeah. you were on the other side of the fountain, you wouldn't hear me if I was having a conversation or trying to have a conversation right. or even 10 feet away. But if we scooch next to each other, we can hear each other quite well. And nobody around us can hear us because the sound of water masks the human voice better than any other sound. And so you get this kind of blue mind, blue noise quality that occurs. You can think your own thoughts in, in privacy. You can have a conversation, a public conversation in private. And this world is losing its privacy rather quickly, losing its solitude. And water gives us that back. So those are just sort of two. Those examples. are simple. Those are great examples for our listeners. And I, yeah. and I just want to encourage the listeners, you know, water takes many different forms. We haven't had time to really talk about it, but, you know, there's steam, there's fog, there's ice. Um, you know, however it takes its form, look at that water. I know for me, on a foggy day, I really love foggy days. I like the feel of the fog, right? That's another sense for me of just exploring something that maybe some of my listeners might want to explore. How do you feel walking around in the fog? Uh, how do you feel when you're on a mountain that's all icy, uh, that's virtually got tons of water underneath you, right? The snow. Um, so. You know, it affects us in so many different ways. And I think for my listeners, um, the Plastic Pollution Coalition would be a place for them to learn more about what's going on with pollution in the oceans. Uh, go to uh, the website, which I'm going to say again, uh, just so we've got it. It's Wallace J. Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S dot O-R-G. We'll have a link in our blog as well. And Jay, it's been an honor and a pleasure having you on. Speaking about your personal things, what's going on, the loss of your home. I know that was very uh, emotional for you. And I appreciate you sharing, um, us sharing about empty buckets together because we both had them and everybody out there listening has had them as well. Um, and how your book and what you teach with inside this book could really help a lot of people um, deal with this much more effectively emotionally and uh, physically and spiritually. 
And it's been a wonderful interview. I've really enjoyed it a lot. I was listening to every word. Likewise, really, really appreciate your, your insights and, um, and where you, where you took the conversation. Uh, and, uh, I will, I will, will be exploring my own emptiness more, um, in a, in a, in a positive light, I will say. Yeah. Well, look, I was going to say when people's Creek runs dry, um, I think it's again, perspective. We, we said, well, when we're empty, it's like a place where you used to go to and there used to be a Creek and it was filled or there was a body of water that's no longer there. It's gone. Um, you know, the water doesn't go anywhere, you know, in other words, in the sense it may have disappeared or evaporated from that spot, but it's still here globally. It's either up it's in the sky or somewhere. It's somewhere here. And I think that's the best part of this. If there's any really super positive about here, the waters are shifting all the time. And it's really, we're made up of 80% water. So we're shifting all the time. And that's part of our emotions inside of us is that, you know, work. I know I'm a water sign. I have fountains, one here in my office, one on my patio, one out front. I've got them all over the place, right? And it gives me a ton of peace. So I would encourage my listeners, go explore what water really means to you, what a blue mind means to you. Take some time with that. Um, don't take it for granted. And get involved, if you would, with some of these Plastic Pollution Coalition, the Sea Turtle one, which is at his website. He's got to help the Patreon, the Blue Blue Mind. You can go there, but learn more about Jay and his book. And I think it will trigger something inside of you to do something. So namaste to you. Thanks, Jay, for being on. And thanks for spending this time with, with our listeners. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.